So as, as we start this Christmas season, um, we're, just so you know later, we'll, we'll be continuing. We have our now two-year tradition of, of, of gathering in our worship gatherings the four weeks before Christmas to light our Advent candles. So we have our Advent candles up here, um, and we'll be doing that a little bit later. Also, we have a lot of, um, there's several events coming up that'll be really, really great ways to prepare your hearts. As Colin said, prepare your, your, your minds, your hearts, your bodies uh, for the Advent season. Um, there's some things, the Missional Gift Guide, the Stations of Advent, the Longest Night, and the Kids' Christmas Musicals are coming up. So um, we, have a, we have a card that kind of has all that, those things. But those are great opportunities to move your hearts, our hearts into the Advent seasons. And as Colossians spoke to us this last series, um, invite others into celebrating this time in a way that has nothing to do do with the craziness and insane consumerism of the Christmas season. Um, so a lot of great stuff going on. So before we get started, I just want to take a moment and pray. Let's pray together as we, as we get into our uh, teaching this morning. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the first Sunday of Advent, the first Sunday when your story of your son Jesus' birth and arrival into our world um, has begun. We pray that this year we would be, you would help prepare our hearts, that you would give us a fresh um, fresh understanding of this story, uh, such that it transforms our lives to create new things, so that new things are birthed into our lives and into our world and into this community this year. Um, we're grateful for this time and this, this season to reflect and journey through this Christmas story. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. All right, so this year we're going to journey through the Advent story by looking at five songs. So our series is called um, the, the, the Songs of Advent. And this week we come to the Song of Hope. Um, there's five songs. It'll be Zachariah's song this week, uh, John the Baptist song next week, Mary's song, the angel song, and lastly on Christmas Eve uh, we'll be looking at Simeon's song. So there's five songs, although there's, there's really one that's not really a song. Um, so I'll let you figure out which one that is. It's, a, it's song-ish, um, but it's not this week. This one's squarely a song. And this week we're going to start with Zachariah's song in Luke 1. And this is a song of joy, thanksgiving, and relief. Um, but before we get into the song, I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you a question. And just consider if, you, if you've ever been so happy and overjoyed about something. Something happened to you. You received some news that made you so happy so overjoyed that your body gave you no choice but to yell or dance or sing or do something, do something. So think about that. I'm sure, I'm sure that's some of you, maybe not all of you. And if you have had that moment in your, type of moment in your life, try to recapture what that felt, what it feel like to be so happy that you just had to shout out or sing and capture that in your mind. And if you haven't ever had a moment like this, we're going to watch a short video that will help you understand what this feels like. Uh, this is a video, video of a Norwegian explorer. His name is Alexander uh, Game. Game. Any Norwegians out there can tell me how to pronounce that. Um, and he's a he's a you know very extreme kind of explorer. And he took him he took this video of himself on the tail end of a three month solo expedition to and from the South Pole. Right. So this is a very very intense. Um, intense expedition that this guy went on, um, in which he lost 55 pounds in 86 days. This is really intense. And this is towards the end of his journey. And as you, you know, when you do these journeys, sometimes what you have to do is you have to drop some gear, bury it, and then, um, you know, so your pack's lighter. And so he's returning on his journey, and he came upon a, uh, a, uh, a package that he, he forgot about, that he buried. Um, and it shows him discovering these packages. So just keep in mind, he's, he's tired, he's really hungry, he's just lost 55 pounds, and he comes along this package. And by the way, this is all in Norwegian, but you'll, as you'll see, you don't need to know Norwegian to understand what's going on. So let's take a look. 
Who knew that discovering cheese doodles and Mentos could ever make someone so happy? Um, I saw that, I found out about this video, it was, it was a podcast about, a science podcast about the state of pure bliss. And as you might imagine, after having trekked through uh, the South Pole and being starving and discovering some food could make you pretty happy. Uh, but that's, that's what it's like to be so happy where you just have to sing. You have to just lay on your back and scream hallelujah, sing the hallelujah chorus uh, to your cheese doodles. Well, this story, uh, the Gospel of Luke, begins with a story of a song like this, a song of pure joy and bliss and celebration and relief as well. Um, and this, of course, is the story of the birth of John the Baptist to his father, Zachariah, and his mother, Elizabeth. Um, and it's interesting that, that Luke feels the need to tell this story before he gets to the main story, which is, of course, uh, the story of the birth of Jesus. Um, and there's a reason why he, he, needs, he tells this story first, and we'll get to that bit, a bit later. Um, but first, a little bit of information. So Zechariah was a priest in the line of Aaron, and he was married to a woman named Elizabeth. They were both very godly people who faithfully served and followed God's commandments. They were very good people. However, as we all know, good things don't always happen to good people, and they had a kind of a tragedy in their life, which was that they could not, they could not conceive children, which in, an, in the agrarian first century Middle Eastern uh, society culture, this is, isn't just like disappointing if you want to have kids, which that's a devastating thing. Um, this was really bad. If you couldn't bear children, you, it was considered uh, socially and even spiritually disgraceful. This was something to be ashamed of. Um, it was something to be deeply ashamed of. And it's very public if you don't have kids. So this is kind of the, the, the darkness of their lives. And then one day, when Zachariah was performing duties inside the temple as a priest while others were waiting for him outside, something very special happened that changed everything. So let's look to the text. This is Luke uh, chapter 1, verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of, the, of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he was born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents of their children into the disobedient to the right wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news and you will now be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. Well, so as the story continues, um, Zachariah comes out of the temple, and he's ha he has to play this kind of what must have been a very strange game of charades to explain why he was in there so long, why he can't speak, and what's about to happen. And eventually, his wife, Elizabeth, does become pregnant, and she does give birth to a son. And everyone rushes to name uh, this son Zachariah, because that's the tradition. You name your children after the father. Uh, but Zachariah and Elizabeth jump to make sure that, as the angel instructed, he was named John. And this, of course, is John the Baptist. Uh, let's continue in the story. Verse 64. 
Immediately his mouth, this is Zechariah, was open and his tongue set free and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe and through the hill country of, the, of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with them. So Zechariah, after nine months of silence, nine plus months of silence, was now able to speak. And after many years of giving up hope of having a child, he has a new healthy baby boy. So obviously he's super happy. He's super happy. And the next thing that happens in the text is he bursts out in song because his joy cannot be contained to mere words. He needs to sing. He needs to have a passion and music. He needs music and emotion to express what is going on in his, in his mind and in his heart and his body. So he sings a song. And what's this song about? What's this song about? If you were a couple, and maybe, you know, there's probably, there's folks in this room that probably are who long desire a child but can't, can't conceive. And then you were given a son late, late, late into life, long past you've, after you've given up hope. What song would you sing? Or just in general, if God gave you something that you've long, long been aching and waiting for, what kind of song would you sing? You'd probably sing a song of thanks that God had finally heard your prayer and given us what we wanted, needed, or deserved. Or you'd probably sing songs of relief that, that God had not forgotten about you and God was listening. You'd definitely sing songs of joy that you'd now be able to enjoy this great gift that God had given you. Maybe the gift of a child, a spouse, a job, physical healing or health, justice, freedom from debt or addiction, whatever it is, you'd probably be very joyful. But what does Zachariah sing about? in the moment when God has given him what his heart has desired for so long. Let's read the text. This is verse 68. I'm sorry I can't sing for you. I don't know what the tune is, but so we'll just read the lyrics. And, but just think of this. Remember to think of this like it was a song. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he had come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his prophets, holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies, from the hand of all those who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before of him all our days. And you, you, my child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare a way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and then in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace, into the path of peace. That is the song Zachariah sings. I don't know about you, but that's a little bit different than what I would have sung if I were him. That's a little bit of a surprising song. Zachariah doesn't just say, thank you, God, for giving us a son so we don't have to be ashamed of being uh, barren and we can have the deep joy of having a child. No, what does Zachariah sing about? He doesn't even... He doesn't even start to sing about his son. He sings about, he starts by singing about Israel, his people, this nation. He doesn't even mention his son for the first half of the song. He sings about his people. And then he sings about his enemies, the, the enemies of the Israel, people who hated Israel and caused them so much suffering in their history. He sings about God rescuing them from his enemies. Then in the second half of the song, he finally does mention his son, John. 
And what does he say? Does he pray that God would bless this child with health, happiness, safety, and success in career and family? No. He sings about his son will be a prophet, how his son will be a prophet who will prepare the way of God for God to come rescue Israel from their oppressors. Now, this is not the sort of prayer I would pray for any of my children, especially one that I long wanted. I mean, I would pray that, you know, I really like soccer. Maybe they become a pro soccer player. They can get me nice tickets to things. Or, or a teacher, a noble profession, a scientist, dog, whatever. You know, I'd pray for them to have, or just be like nice people, normal people that are, that are healthy. That's what I'd pray for my kids. I would not pray that they become prophets. Why? Well, if you do a little digging and understanding who the prophets were, you would understand that being a prophet is not exactly like a a fun, nice job. It's not a role that makes you a lot of friends. It's actually one that makes you a lot of enemies. Particularly for a prophet who, who, and a lot of the prophets were people who called people to repentance, meaning they're the ones going around pointing out like what's wrong with you and what's wrong with people and how you need to change. And this does, again, this is not the kind of thing that makes you a lot of friends. Their prophets were not usually popular, uh, especially with those in power, as they usually challenge people in power. They usually end up beaten, thrown in jail, impoverished, and generally hated, right? This is not like a good sort of life, you know, aspiration for most people to have. But this is what Zachariah sings for his son, and he sings it joyfully. And we're going to get into John's story more next week. But for this week and for Zechariah, why do you think his first words, the song of joy he is singing when he receives his son after being unable to speak for nine months is this song about Israel and the nation's rescue from their political and military enemies? Why do you think Zechariah's prayer is for his son to become a repentance-calling prophet, a life of suffering and rejection? What is the deal going on with the song? So to understand this, we need to understand a little bit more about Israel's history, and then more specifically, we need to understand what, how prophets worked, how prophets worked for the nation of Israel. So let's chat first a little bit about prophets. So first of all, let's just establish prophets, despite maybe how we grew up or, you know, what we heard, prophets are more than just people who, like, predict things, right? Prophets are not just fortune tellers. They're a lot more than that. A prophet's main role was to bring a challenging message or some kind of message from God to God's people to their leaders. So in a way, they're kind of the mouthpiece of God. However, they're more than just mere messengers, right? Like they're not just like the mailman or a raven carrying little notes uh, from God to us. Uh, They're people who have authority, but a special kind of authority. They're people with authority because of the lives they lived were compelling. They had integrity and they were pure of heart. So they're messengers not only in what the word that they say, but also in how they live. And this is a key point for this morning. Prophets embodied the message that God gave them to give through their very lives and the way that they lived. They're not just transferring information. They personally feel and express the feeling or emotion of God. So it's a very holistic, personal message. And because of this, prophets, you know, again, didn't just give speeches. They wept. Uh, You can look through this in the Old Testament. They dressed in certain types of clothing to express things. They destroyed things. They starved themselves. They ate things. They were imprisoned. They performed miracles, brought on curses, illnesses. They cried real tears, suffered real pain in their physical bodies. Again, they, they, they were thrown in jail, all to represent what God wanted to show the people what they needed to hear. So you see what I mean by saying prophets, like, this isn't exactly a good job. They are a lived, embodied message. So what's going on here with Zechariah? 
What's going on here is he is now playing a prophetic role. He is playing a prophetic role. Let's look at this. Let's look back to the story. Why was, why was Zacharias silenced? On the most obvious level, we're told he was silenced because he didn't believe the angel's promise of a son. So it's kind of this like punishment. However, there's something a lot bigger going on here. And we have to know a little bit about Israel's history to understand this. In Israel's history, from the days of Abraham, God always spoke to them through the prophets. And this is well documented throughout the Old Testament. Israel always had prophets with them. And these prophets, again, pointed out unfaithfulness, pronounced warnings to their Israel and their leaders. Sometimes they spoke words of hope, though, especially when Israel was in the exile, which was a punishment for their unfaithfulness in Babylon and under foreign occupation and oppression with, through other empires afterwards. And specifically during these times when the prophets spoke encouragement, they spoke of the coming of a special person. Uh, this person they called the Messiah, which means the anointed one. It's a special leader who was anointed by God, who would cast off foreign rule and bring Israel back to their original call of ruling the whole world for God, bringing all nations back to God and making the world right and just uh, as a king would, who ruled for God. That was original, original, Israel's original call. And the prophet said that they would get a leader who would do this. And in one of the last prophecies in the Old Testament, this is in the book of Malachi, so it's like at the end there of the Old Testament. This is the last, one of the last prophecies. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. So this, in the last prophecy of the Old Testament, it speaks of someone who will come to prepare the way for God's coming justice in form of rescue and restoration of Israel. But after this prophecy, after Malachi... For 400 years, there were no more prophets. There were no more prophets. The prophets went silent. God went silent. And so just like, as you see, Zechariah goes silent, after Malachi, the prophets go silent for 400 years. Israel remained under the oppressive rule of the Persians, then the Seleucids, which are part of the Greeks, then the Romans, and all the while, God was silent. There were no more prophets. Israel waited. They waited for God to send this anointed one, this Messiah, who would raise up a rebellion and start a revolution against Israel's conquerors and build this new kingdom of God in Israel, one that would not only be free and independent, but one that gathers the world to God. And there were many messiahs, many would-be messiahs. There were many people that tried to do this. There's lots of leaders who rose up to raise rebellions, and they all failed. There's one, one exception, um, which was this group of brothers called the Maccabeans, and they led a successful rebellion, but it fell apart really quickly. Um, this is what Hanukkah celebrates, by the way. And on top of that, he didn't fit because they weren't in the line of David, which is a prophet said that Messiah would be. So they waited longer in the silence. Israel waited, and the, the prophets were silent. And they waited and waited in silence. But now, here, in this passage, in this song, with this song, the silence is broken. The silence is broken, not only for Zechariah, but for the nation of Israel. The silence is broken. God has spoken. The prophets speak again. And what do they speak? They speak with the song. And this isn't just any song. This is a song that connects directly back to the last prophecy in Malachi, a song about the messenger come to prepare the way of the Lord. So this is why you see Luke, Luke includes a story, because he's trying to connect back to that last prophecy. 
Remember this line from Zechariah's song. This is Luke, uh, this is verse 76. And you, my child, will become a prophet of the Most High, and you will go before the Lord to prepare the way for him. So this was about Zechariah's song, John, who would become John the Baptist, who prepares the way for Jesus. And again, we'll get to that next week. But again, this is why Luke begins this, with this story. Luke is trying to say to the nation of Israel, the silence has been broken and the prophets speak again. They've spoken again. So do you see what's going on here? Luke, like uh, Zechariah, like a prophet, is now embodying the story of Israel. He's embodying the story of Israel. And just now, as Zechariah's silence is broken, the prophet's is broken. God is broken the silence because hope is coming. God is finally going to fulfill his promise to bring rescue to Israel and bring all nations back to God. Zechariah's song is a song of people who have been living in fear, who now know they don't need to live in fear again because hope has arrived. Advent, the coming, has begun. And this is why he sings about salvation from Israel's enemies. This is why he sings about uh, salvation from the hands of those who hate us. And he's talking about people who hate the Jews, people who think the Jews are worthless, insignificant cogs in the Roman Empire's machine. He's thinking of the history of people who have had, who've been economically exploited and enslaved, had their children mutilated, young men thrown to their death by way of, of, of by, by getting thrown into human-sized frying pans. I'm not making any of this up. This is Israel's history. And now, Zacharias knows that this silence has been broken and God is speaking again. Hope is coming. And so he sings this song of praise. This song is, this is why he doesn't just sing about, you know, just the joy of Elizabeth and him having to have a family. This is so much bigger. And his son is going to play this important role. And the beginning of the end of the silence has come. Because he knows that this means the Messiah, the Savior, the salvation of the Lord is on their way to rescue them. Now, later in the story, we'll see this Messiah is going to be a bit of a surprise. He's going to look differently than they expected. He's going to happen. It's all going to happen in a very surprising way. Um, But I don't want to get ahead of that. That's later on in a few weeks. Today, we see that the silence has been broken. So what what does this mean for us today? So this is great. This is interesting in Zechariah's time in the nation of Israel. But what does this mean for us today in 2015 in Palo Alto at the beginning of this Advent season here for us sitting in this room? And what does it mean for us? We're generally not people who are enslaved. We're, we're generally people who are privileged with a, having an education, having cars, having homes, plenty of food to eat, relative freedom of speech and religion. We have iPhones, we have lattes, we have Wi-Fi, right? Like, what does this mean for us, right? And some of this is going to get answered in the weeks to come, but for today, it means the same thing it means for Zechariah and the Jews in the first century. It means the end of the silence has come. God has begun his plan to bring salvation, to bring justice, to bring rescue, to bring reconciliation, to bring forgiveness, to bring healing, to bring acceptance to all of us. Silence has come to an end and God's plan has begun. And if we're honest, even though we have Wi-Fi, we all have silences in our lives. We all have places of silence in our lives, places we are waiting for God to come and intervene to rescue us, to save us, to forgive us. We all are in the silences. We all have things we are waiting for in our personal lives. Some of you are waiting right here today for God to rescue you from a meaningless and soul-sucking job 
that just feeds the cycle of consumerism and pride from having no other option but to just run the Silicon Valley race, a million dollar homes, competitive parenting, Instagramming of lavish fields and vacations, and schools with high test scores and high stress levels. That's, some of us want rescue from that. Some of us are just, maybe some of you are out there waiting for the healing of a chronic illness for yourself or someone you love. Maybe you've been waiting for someone to marry, to meet someone you can love and who loves you. Or maybe like Zachariah and Elizabeth, you're waiting for children and God's silent. Or perhaps you've been waiting for God to rescue you out of an addiction to alcohol, drugs, pornography, or being a people pleaser, or retail therapy, cheap relationships. Maybe you're waiting to be released from the, some of the shameful things you've done in your life or have had in your heart, and you silently crave forgiveness from somebody, from yourself, or from God. Or perhaps you've been waiting for someone to, you love to discover Jesus and become part of God's family by believing and following him. Or maybe you yourself are seeking, seeking to find truth, the truth about the way the world really is. Some of you here may be waiting to see who God truly is. I mean, and that's why you're here. You want deeper meaning. You want to know what the world is really about. And you're waiting. Maybe some of you are just waiting just to have a friend because you're lonely. We all have these silent places in our lives. But there's even more beyond that. The silences affect all of us collectively as human beings. Beyond our personal lives, there's many silences out in the world today. There's much cause for lament. I, I just need to say the name of a few places and it can evoke powerful images. Paris, Syria, Beirut, Nigeria, Mali, Chicago, Minneapolis, Colorado Springs. This is just stuff from the past three weeks. On and on and on and on and on. Our world has a lot of places of silence. As Pope Francis said this past week, this Christmas time, our world is at war with itself. Our world today is filled with unending violence, horrific tragedies and injustices, broken systems, broken marriages everywhere we look. There are dark, painful places of silences in our lives. And it's important to lament these silences. It's important to acknowledge that these exist and to not just live in denial. It's important to face these long, hard, tiring realities, both the personal ones and our national or global ones. Hebrews 13, 3b says, this is a, a, has one translator put it, remember those, also those being mistreated as you felt their pain in your own bodies, as if you felt their pain in their own bodies. Because without feeling the lament, without feeling the silences for ourselves and the lives of others, we live lives of unhealthy denial and then we can never fully experience the joy, the true joy of Advent. The true joy of Christmas is not just about a nice time with family and lights and songs and, you know, and, and cold weather and, and, and Christmassy things, right? The true joy is that light has entered the darkness and that the silence has been broken. Next Sunday night here at Palato Church of Christ at 7 p.m., for the second time, we're going to be hosting what's, what we call our, the longest night service. And this is the time where we can beseech God's presence for those who mourn and struggle during the holidays, for God to shine into the darkness. And so we encourage you to come and, and, and um, participate in this time of lament. So we have places for that, and it's important that we do. Because in order to fully experience the joy, you need to walk through the lament. We need to do this because only by acknowledging this can we really appreciate the impact of Zechariah's song, that God 
has broken the silences in our lives. And that God's plan to rescue, restore, forgive, and fix has begun. And that this is cause for celebration. This is cause for gratitude. And most importantly, this is cause for hope. Because hope gives us strength. Hope gives you, helps us to hold on. Hope helps us see the world not as it is, but as it will be. Hopes make us, hope helps us make decisions based upon that vision. Hope helps us, make us, helps us sing more songs that break more silences in our world, and not just for us, but for others. Hope reminds us that God has not forgotten you, and God has not forgotten us. So we have to sing in that reality. We need to sing and thank God for his coming and remind ourselves that there is hope. This morning, we're going we're gonna to end by doing something a little bit different. I'm going to ask the band to, to come up right now. Just like Zechariah and just like Israel, we're going to have a time of silence. We're going to have a time where we all sit here together and physically wait in the silence. And as you wait, as it's silence, I invite you to consider what are the silences in your own lives? What are those places of silence in your own hearts or in the world that break your hearts? Meditate on these things and the things you wait on God for, for healing, freedom, family, forgiveness, reconciliation. What is the silence? What is your pain? What is your struggle? In the silence, I want you to bring that to your mind and in your hearts and just let it sit there. And then, as you're considering the silences in your lives and the life of the world, I want you to invite Jesus to enter into those silences because Jesus has come. Jesus is coming. This is what Advent is all about. We need to invite Jesus to come break the silence. And after a time, Colin and the band are going to break the silence with a song and invite you to join him in singing. Join him in singing the celebration that the silence has been broken and that God's plan for restoration has begun. Sing it like you're, you're discovering a pack of cheese doodles after starving for three months, right? This is good news. All those dark places in our lives, God has started the plan to make them all right and better. And as you sing, sing it heartily, sing it joyfully, with hearts full of both lament and hope. And then we'll continue our time of worship with the Advent candle. So let's begin. Let's leave a time of silence. And again, sit in that silence of your own pain or the pain of the world. And then because Advent has come and Jesus has come, as Colin sings, together, let's break the silence. Let's break the silence and sing because Advent has arrived. Jesus has arrived. Hope has arrived. <laughs>